Hi there. This is Greg Vitti with Real Estate Legends. I'm here today with Michelle Escoval. Uh, Michelle started uh, working with me about 10 years ago while she was still in high school. And she's been able to see a lot of different parts of my career and been part of it. She's got me management level field, but she is uh, one of my soundage podcasts. Give her a shout out and thank her for that. And she's also the one who does a lot of the really nice parts of our website. If you go out to the website, you'll see we market to people that are legends very well. We really try to pick legends that we move into the listener. Everyone's got a good story. Some people have phenomenal stories. You don't even know what you're going to get out of people when you start these podcasts. That's one of the things I really love about our podcast. And, uh, but in either case, today we're going to talk about Greg Vitti. Gregory J. Vitti, born in Highland Park Hospital in 1959 by his parents, Blaze and Diane Vitti. Blaze is the son of Guy Vitti and Esther Vitti. They had nine children. And so I've got a tremendous amount of cousins, relatives. My grandfather moved to Highville and started his uh, real estate company there. It's a real estate and insurance company called Guy Vitti Real Estate and Insurance. And that was in 1937. The guy was a very hard worker. He was a sewer worker before he was a realtor and he took it very serious. At that point, there were no attorneys involved, there were no title companies. Really, with my grandfather, there was very rarely a mortgage company and another realtor because he would give the mortgage and just from start to finish do a whole real estate transaction. He was a very hard worker. He had very few friends because he was working the whole time with nine kids. He really devoted himself to God. He go to church every day, never work a Sunday. He was so strict with his kids that I think that really helped my brother, my sister, and I to be able to have a lot more fun in our lives because my father felt like he needed to let us fly a little bit because his parents were always so tough on him. And uh, my father was a great mentor to me in the real estate business. He was a realtor all of his life until he died. He died about 28 years ago. I know that because my first daughter, Hannah, who's a sound engineer on this podcast, she was born 12 days before he passed away. My father had such a great attitude. You know, when you're young and headstrong, you don't really realize how smart your parents are, what great advice they're giving, Took me a while to really come around and understand what a great guy my father was. He was a broker, but he did a lot more than that. He was an appraiser. He also did a lot of expert witness work in courtrooms. And he did a lot of land, zoning changes. So watching my father really helped me eventually to get the lust for a good real estate challenge. And I was kind of headstrong. I didn't start my career. I thought it was late. I started about 27 years old. I wanted to get out of high park where I'd grown up and get down to the big city. So I came down here early uh, when I was licensed. And for the first year in real estate, uh, it, it takes you a while to really get going. So I stayed as a waiter. And I had been a waiter on and off for years. I did a lot of construction when I left college. I moved to Santa Fe, New Mexico and started doing construction, woodworking, furniture making. And at that time, I didn't realize what a great segue it would be to real estate. 
And it's been a wonderful, wonderful guide for me because I really understand buildings. It, it, it's been a blast to grow into the real estate industry in a lot of different segments. When I first started out, I was really doing mostly residential real estate. And I was learning from mentors that uh, we did a lot of knocking in doors, cold calling, canvassing, did a lot of mailings, really worked it hard. We would work some nights till 10 o'clock at night calling people. And when we would get a listing, we would tell all the neighbors, have open houses. It, it, a really fun way to start out real estate. There were a lot of great people that gave me such great advice and mentoring that because of that, I've always felt my real being throughout my career, whichever office I'm at, or whoever really needs a good opinion on something or some help with something, I'm happy to jump in and help them. I feel blessed that recently I've had some fantastic clients. I was willing to go over the top for them, and I knew I was doing probably more than most people would for them. But to me, someone decides that they want you to represent them. That is an awesome ask, and I take it very, very seriously. I appreciate it like crazy, and I try to think out of the box of how to get people in the door, to excite people, to get them sold. I'm not scared to renovate people's houses practically, if that's what has to be done. People laugh at me because I will clean their windows, clean the floors, recock the bathrooms. I've done everything. But I really try to get the handy on the painters to do all of that now, but you never know. Can you tell us how your background in construction helps you in real estate? You know, in a lot of subtle ways. When I first uh, got into construction, you know, they I was on a crew and they put me as the mud mixer because it, in Santa Fe, plaster on both sides of the walls, three coats. So it's very important to get it right. But they, and the crew thought they were laughing and teasing because that's the low man on the total. To me, it was like, how could I really streamline the system? Because it seemed like they, they didn't take it too seriously on the crew. And I wanted to get everything exactly perfect. So. In learning the task at hand in construction, whether you're going to build a run of doors or you're going to lay a foundation, lay a floor, frame all of you have to be able to see getting to the end. And that's one of the things I love about construction. I also love that at the end of the day, you see what you've done. After you build things for a while, you're building your own custom. So I really had a good eye for quality what it takes to build something strong and right, that when I go into a house, I could immediately, my eyes see it differently. Like for so many years, I would think that people look at properties like I do. And then when someone comes into my web, they're by a broker, I start to explain to them all the different things that I'm looking at fast. Like I would say, okay, this is a brick building. Brick buildings, the tools over the windows, that's the steel beam. We love to see if there's proper flashing, we love to see if there's a weak hole so that water can get out of the behind it. We look up at the top of the parapet wall to see if it needs to be worked or not. We look at the back decks to see if they're up to cope or say, we look at the windows. And then when we get inside, we start working with the nuts of the wood, the heating system, the hot water heater, the level of the floor, the consistency of the water. There's just a lot of things that 
person you look at. And I'm not saying as a realtor you have to do all this stuff. You probably don't because I have friends of mine who sold hundreds of millions of dollars in real estate and they really don't know a lot about construction, but they are sharp, smart people and they understand quality. But I feel like it's given me an edge up to be able to really analyze something fast. So I work a lot with investor builders also and buyers and they know by looking at me and listening to me that I know what I'm talking about. And like, I just got a listing recently and a seller said to me, I've had a hundred different realtors call me on this property, but there was something different about you and your approach. And I think working with my hands for so many years, you could just tell someone with their hands if you're one. It's like, a, I've done very well with builders because of that. And, uh, I try to stay humble with all of this, but yes, construction definitely is not real estate. And what made you switch from construction to real estate? Originally, I was a very headstrong kid, and I bucked head with my parents, father, and the last thing I thought I was going to be a realtor was my grandfather was, my father was. And then when I got into construction, I went out on my own. I was working three different jobs in this town. I was barely able to meet my bills. And, you know, as you get a little older, you sure you start to realize, wow, my dad was really a smart guy. That's kind of how it came back full circle for me. And I know you talked about switching one purpose to another. Is there any advice that you would give agents when picking brokerage? Yes, I think that you know you've got to go with people originally that you know are going to have your back. What I mean by that is, will someone take the time to not only just explain to you really fast you know, what you say in a listening presentation, what to look at, but really go with you, let you go with them, to mirror them, find out. All those different, you know, what we do isn't really hard, hard, hard. It's a process. And there's a lot of different levels and pitfalls. So I think if you go with a company that's going to, I would look at the paperwork really close. And I wouldn't sign with anybody who's going to take a bunch of money if they let you go. And if they, if you decide you want to leave, there's certain things I would look at in any contract. But I'd make sure they have a great training program that you really like the energy in the office that there's some people there that you feel synergy with. I've now landed at Keller Williams and I've spent long periods of time at different places. Like I was a Remax agent for 12 years and just had a wonderful one and it was fantastic. And then I went to Canyon and Stray and I was there about 12 years. And I was in one of those vibrant offices and working with some people that I have lifelong relationships with. And I, I, I sold so much property there. It was really fantastic thing. And let's see, then we went to Credential New Bluff, which is a part of Kingdom Stray. And again, it was black and the same. I went to Jamison Sotheby's. I wanted to be around developers. I was building the building. And by Charlie and Harry Husanis were just phenomenal helps to me. I like being around Art Colazzo and, and Chris Pure, who really gave me good advice. Now being here, at Keller Williams, I love that I'm running a business within a business. They have so much great training and things. Not that I need training, but you know what? We all need reminders and we all need motivation. I have got it down where I feel like I have a lot of really good habits. 
habits. I'm not saying all my habits are good, but I get up early in the morning and I stretch out when I go to work out a little bit. I drink my coffee, I go to work out, really get a good sweat in. And, and then I have it where I already have written down what I'm planning to do that day, what are my main accomplishments. Rather than make it feel like a big chore now, it's really an exciting ride. And uh, I, I work with people that I'm really excited to work with. And I have clients that have true, sincere real estate challenges, and they're so appreciative and thankful when I help them. And so right now I feel like I'm in this zone with real estate that I'm having so much fun. I'm putting people together. And I'm seeing the playing field a lot different than I used to. I used to feel like it was a really competitive thing. Now I don't feel like it's competitive at all. And it is competitive, but I don't really feel it that way. I feel like I'm here to serve and I'm going to find people who really need my service. And what they do, I have a fantastic situation. So I know a little bit more than our listeners about your background. You've kind of dabbled in residential, commercial, property management and development, how have you been able to successfully transition through those things? Because a lot of agents kind of stick to one area and that's where they stay in. Well, they tell you, you know, get your farm, work your farm. And for maybe the first time, 15 years of my career, I was a Lakeview agent. And if somebody wanted a different part of the town, I would show them that town and then I'd bring them back to Lakeview. They'd say, I don't want this area, I just love it. And some of the people that I worked around did so much business and they would do it everywhere. And I'd be like, what do you mean you just do it everywhere? Well, you can learn that neighborhood. You've got the internet, you can figure it out. It's on the mobile So I started spreading out and I loved working with people that were buying investment properties. Two to four flats, six flats, 12 flats, 20 flats, mixed-use buildings. And I helped with some kind of conversions early in my career and uh, my developers didn't know what they were doing, and I did. So I would jump in and help with GCs. And I would go way overboard to make sure it was done correctly. Had to, I'd have actually write change orders and everything else. So in getting into so many different types of real estate, I feel like it, if you could be in the business a really long time, it keeps it, it's healthy for you. So like when I'm doing rentals or helping manage it, I, I'm more in tune with what the rents are out there and what the tenants are out there and what behaviors are happening. When I'm working with developers, it helps me that I've been a developer before and I've sat on that side of the table and I've sweated through that. And I think it makes you more of a person. It's always easy to spend someone else's money. But then all of a sudden, when it's your butt on the line, it's your money on the line, and time is going. You learn valuable lessons. You know, what do they say? There's no better folks when the man sees the hangings straight. You really get tight. And so I've learned to love doing a lot of different types of real estate. And you know, I've been very fortunate to have a lot of help. I've had people on my team, yourself, you've been licensed for years. I feel like that's one of the exciting things about real estate, that there's so many different avenues you can go. And then within the day, you know, you're, you're helping marketing properties, like on the internet, through papers, you know, I've done a lot of public speaking over the years, like when I was the president of the sales advisory council of Green Max, I was putting together whole weekend 
gatherings, events, speakers, everything else. And I, I feel like it just makes you more vibrant. So I, that's how I've done it. It's probably not the conventional way to do it, if you wanted. But for me, it's been exciting and fun being able to make a great career out of it. I don't think I could go into a normal job where I knew what I was making all the time because the excitement of being able to help a lot of people and get compensated well for it was fantastic. And you've been in the industry for um, some years now. So what would you say has changed the most since you started to now? Well, when I first got into real estate, the way we communicated a lot of things was very odd. Like you'd call someone and leave a message. And their secretary would write it down and put it in their little box. And we would go back and forth like that forever. And so just the exchange of information. I remember when I first got into real estate, I joined the Caldwell Banker Clark in Fullerton. First day I came into the office, I was looking around for a computer. And the manager said, oh, you're probably looking for the multiple listing service. Well, we're not on it. I said, what do you mean we're not on it? Well, we're having we're having a lawsuit with the MLS about commercial people. I said, so why did you tell me that? In the... So it was just hard on your information. So I actually started buying this book that they had and looking up properties in the book where also I think one of the biggest best things that happened was this being able to do everything online as far as like signing documents and things where before, you know, I'd have to bring someone with me and I'd run up to the someone in the so they could initial contracts. So that's all been streamlined. There's been a lot of disruption in business as far as more people are involved from discount brokerage to like the Zillow's of the world to kind of take away the buyer from where we would just normally. If I did an open house in the late 80s, early 90s, late 90s, I would get a buyer or seller for each open house minimum. And that became a lot tougher when buyers realized they could try to negotiate on the contract or they could go out and find another agent that will uh, discount them back some money. And a lot of that kind of thing happened. And for me, I always felt like rather than get frustrated about that kind of thing, make yourself more delicious to the consumer, make yourself know more, understand more. And if you're really bringing value, people are happy to pay for value. And uh, that's why people ride Mercedes go to meet and Marcus, they could get shoes at different stores, ones that cost If you want a certain quality and want someone who's really in the corner, they're willing to pay for it. So how have you been able to stay a top producer throughout all of these years? It's funny how that happens. I think a lot of this is mindset and goal setting and deciding what you want to do and how you're going to do it. And so I've had to recreate how I get business a lot of different ways. But one thing that stayed consistent throughout my career is that I'm not a transactional broker. I'm a relationship broker. So I don't look at everybody as a bunch of numbers. And yes, you have to play some kind of numbers game as a realtor to make sure you're talking to enough people and getting people to refer you. But if you do a terrific job for someone, they're going to tell somebody. And when those people call you, it's yours to lose. And so I've been very fortunate that I have, like my cousin, John, who owns the building that we're in right now. 
He's given me three or four from his own years because he knows I'm going to do a great job and really care about uh, I've got a lot of connection with people that are commercial agents or agents that get properties that I know about waiting for other people. So I have a great opportunity to bring that kind of value to buyers. I'm so appreciative to all of this. And it, it's really helped a lot to learn to really be kind, generous, and thankful. And even when everything goes the wrong way, to take it and understand from it and grow. Everything is not about me. You know what? I grew up in a town where people were very opulent, a lot of them. And some of them were totally miserable. And watching some of these people, it made me realize I do want to be successful. I do want to have financial freedom, but I don't want to have it at the cost of walking around with a scowl on my face, talking tough to people, and being bad and angry. You know, well, let's go back to me as a child. You know, as a little kid, I had more energy. I must have made my parents crazy. I would sleep three, four hours a night, just have energy, 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 energy. And I remember in fifth grade, decided I wanted to play basketball. I played on this team and I wasn't very good. And there was a guy on the team who was a seventh grader and he was very tough on me. And I remember going to my mother and saying, Mom, I'm so mad about this year. I want to become the best of this. And she took me to the coach. And this guy, Mark Baker, I'll never forget. He said, oh, you could be the best. You got to start with your dream. You got to do this. And he gave my mother like 10 things that I should be doing. And I started exercising different, I started practicing with this passion. And that was the beginning of me really understanding goal setting. And then by the time I was in sixth grade, I was one of the better players in the sixth grade, for sure. My school, probably in town. And by seventh grade, I was definitely one of the players in the town. And it really set me up, like being an athlete is a great way to become a salesperson. I remember Chuck Orr, one of my favorite managers I ever had, he said, the athletes are the best salespeople because they get that down and they keep going, keep going. And you learn persistence. And I feel like I became a great teammate at a young age. And by becoming a great teammate, you have to figure out how to become a great friend. And so, I watched my father, he was friendly with everybody in our town. Even people that most people couldn't get along with. My father would talk with them for 20 minutes. And I'd be like, how are you doing? He's like, Greg, I see the light in people. You should see the light in people. And that really set me off where to this day, I'm blessed with hundreds of friends that I've known since third, fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh, eighth grade, freshman year, high school, a few from college, but we still all get together. The relationship building is really a wonderful thing in life. I think it's very healthy. So if you're a young age, really think about relationship, relationship, relationship. Yeah, and with this podcast, I've noticed that you've been able to get a lot of agents to come speak to us because of relationships like that. So that's great to see that you get along with all of the other agents as opposed to some people in the industry who think that they kind of, it's like they're enemies and they don't work with other people. 
Uh, Mike Maduro sat behind me and he said to me, how come all these young agents keep coming to you and asking you all these questions and talking to you? I said, because they know one, I'm a good person who's going to give them honest advice. And I feel like as human beings, we owe that to each other. You know, we're all connected. The same source beats my heart that beats yours, grows my fingernails. Over the last years, I've had a real spiritual awakening. I was having that when I was 18 and 19, meditating all the time, Sikhs and that's going and everything else. But I think as I matured, it really became obvious to me that the other agents are really, they're more important really than the, than the clients. I don't mean that in disrespect to the clients. The clients come and go and the agents are always there and certain agents will be in life and certain won't. But there could be a mutual respect there. Like when I get a really good property that I know is valuable, I don't have a buyer for it right away. I know the agents to call. I more than cooperate with them because I think there's a real value. To you know, and if you're going to work every day, so why not have a good feeling about it? I've learned that worry, fear, anxiety, resentment, and anger is lower energy and it's really not healthy. And if you, get around that little energy, go to that energy, you're making an assessment. So we have to raise our energy to a higher level. We owe it to ourselves, whatever. I feel like we're all growing beings. We all want to be happy, peaceful, and thankful. And it's not all about money and production. And the real estate thing gets into too much money and production. He was better than him because he sold more. I disagree. I think it's how many people have you really helped and served if you save your money and you invest it well, you're going to do fine anyway. And you can't take it with you. So I really uh, tried to practice what I preach and really be thankful every day. And any time I feel less than good, I try to tell myself those six magic words I got from Wayne Dyer. You know, I choose to feel good now and go from there. What made you decide to start and launch this podcast? You know, it's funny because my daughter is in high school. And she was doing podcasts and talking about it. And she really liked them. Then when she got to college, she was uh, a DJ and doing some podcasts. And, you know, as a parent, you always give kids money. And sometimes she would make the mistake of saying, Dad, can I borrow some? And I would give her $40 or $60. And after a while, I'd say, okay, I'll put that on towards that podcast. And then she actually went to become a sound engineer in graduate school at Northwestern, get a job in podcasts. And I realized she's got the talent and she can really help me with this. With the Real Estate Legends podcast, I just feel like there's so many great people that have this passion for real estate and they've achieved just extraordinary things. And like my father, I love interviewing people and I like getting their story. And I felt like I'm in a unique position because I know most of the players and they most of them like me and they'll take my call. What's happened is I slowed down on asking too many people to be on the show because Hannah's got a full life and a, and a, and a full-time job and she's a DJ at night. So I don't want to put so much pressure on her, but it really has been exciting. Some of the conversations that I've had, I mean, every one of them has been phenomenal. Buzzing Ruttenberg, what a man. 
Al Clearman's such a great story, so interesting, such a hard worker, and got curing the Azars. I've had people call me up and tell me they're going to change their business model after hers, and she's so inspiring. And uh, Kevin Roykin, he's about to come out, and he's just phenomenal. He's, you know, uh, Scott Mazel, Dan Peters. So I'm really excited about the podcast because it gives us a voice, and we're able to reach out and hopefully help people, and hopefully other people are curious about these stories like I am. You know, you're in real estate. If, if you're on purpose and you have passion for this, you really get to know the players, you want to hear what they have to say. And it's interesting how so many different people do it so differently and they get different things out of it. So I'm thankful if I'm going to start my three, God, I think it's going to be my 36th year. I think this is my 35th year. And I'm still so enthused about it and I'm growing, uh, learning. Every day, I recently licensed in Wisconsin, and I went up to my first office meeting, walking North Shore office. And I'm just so impressed with the business. And I'm really impressed with Keller Williams. I, I was told one time to check this out. When I was in between companies, I kept seeing Nick Apostle's smiling face and thought, these guys would be a great place to really grow a business with it. Yeah, it really is. And how are you picking the agents that you're interviewing? What makes someone a real estate legend to you? You know, I think there's certain people, if you've been in, in this business for all the time, you just know, did something that was over the top. Like the Husanas, Charlie. To me, they were the ones I wanted to interview first because I hold them in such high you know, the cab drivers, three brothers running the cab by themselves. They rubbed their nickels together, got the real estate license. Then they decided to run their own company. Then they figured out a way to take over all these developments, buy properties. And just so people like that, that stay really humble, have a great story. I know they love to share. You know, there's really hundreds of us that I would and. I guess it's kind of, I don't know, it's cocky of me to call myself a real estate legend, but if you stay in this business long enough, if you sold over eight, nine hundred thousand properties, mentored 50, 60 brokers to success, you start to become a legend yourself. For me, I don't know exactly my criteria. Like, I feel like there's some people that I know they deserve it because of how many properties they control at all, but then other people tell me stories about them. Less than everything else, and then they fall out of my real estate legend. I've got a bunch of people that I really want to interview, and I'm excited to. But I only want to interview people that really want to be interviewed and really want to share. I feel like if you have a story, you know, Pete Townsend said, "You have your guitar and you got your pen. Write it out and sing your story about it." So to me, I guess real estate legend would be someone that has either influenced real estate in Chicago or influenced other people as mentor or has just made any change in the industry. And well, they say that you can just, as long as you change one person's life, you're making a difference. And I guess I've never said this, but you took me in when I was 16 
and you've taught me everything about the industry and even outside of real estate. You really changed my life and you put me in this room where I've been able to meet all of these amazing people with you. And I've grown as a person from everything that you taught me. So to me, you are a real estate legend. You've changed my life and you've always been there for me like a father. Well, that's so. great to hear. I did feel kind of fatherly with you. I mean, you were one of my daughter's teammates and and I could tell that you had a good drive, played hard, very quiet and nice, you were smart, and you've proved to be a very smart person. You've learned so many different avenues. It, that's one of the fun things of real estate. Look at all the different things you learned. How many things you know how to do now. So it's a, it is a one the impact that the Chicago marketplace and everything else, how many people are real estate legends. They're all a little different, but I've learned to love all of their personalities. They've all shared on great levels with me. I love being a part to know the story, to be able to get the story out and share is a wonderful thing. This may be a hard question, but what would you consider your biggest accomplishment in real estate? Biggest accomplishment. Well, I can say that stopping my life and building the building in Highland Park, 1655 McGovern, was one of the hardest things I did. And you know, I was taking it all so hard that just surviving it might have been my greatest accomplishment. <laughs> but uh, I did have a stream of 10 years in a row were me and my team. Sometimes it was just me and sometimes it was two or three of us. We sold between 40 and 50 properties a year. And that might not sound like a big number, but there's only 52 weeks in a year. So if you're having a closing almost every week, that's pretty exciting. And you know, I took that Remax Cubs day from 100 people to 850. I took the event that we put on at the Grand Geneva Northern Illinois. I took it from 140 people to 425 in one year. I took the, the charity. The, we were raising money for Children's Memorial. We had 2,000 agents. We were raising 3,000 bucks a year. And the reason none of us were really doing this is because we had our shelters. We were raising money and giving it to uh, homeless single mothers that uh, we wanted to give them housing, just really help them to be able to clothes kids, resumes, the jobs. And so we were so focused on that, we really didn't pay much attention to the children. And then uh, Ed Highland, a friend of my father's, who's a Remax agent, took me to lunch and I had a feeling I was going to get involved in these children's more at Network Field. He started telling me about his grandkids and told this whole hard story. And then he took me on a tour and I got to meet some of the kids. And I decided I was going to take that out. We'd only raised $3,000 my first year, I put a Rolling for Children's boxing ball, and I got this guy, Gary Phillip. He's a fantastic musician. He decided, he called me up and said, Greg, I see you can have music at your event. Is that little boxing career? I said, you got one. He said, I can get you a free PA. If you get a stage, I'll get you 12 of the best musicians in Chicago to come and play for free because we believe in you, Greg. And the first year, we made $45,000. The second year I made, we grow $63,000. The third year we were at 150 or so, 
The fourth year, I left Remix that year, and it raised two hundred and fifty thousand. And what really impressed me was, for the next like eight or ten years, they raised over three hundred thousand dollars. A lot of it was from me interviewing people, but writing in the newsletter for Remix. I would write these great letters and stories and putting on the events and convincing people to give $25, $50 and trying to explain to people that charitable giving is a wonderful way to grow your business. Because if people are between two or three people and one person really cares and really shows it from their heart and they're sincere, that's a great resource. So I feel like a lot of my charitable giving is something, it, it's really not totally real estate related, but it was real estate related. And I think that's of my best thing. But also, Michelle, to be honest with you, I think being able to touch people's lives, like the Sean Glass got to the room. You know, Sean came to me, he didn't know anything about real estate. His dad was a friend of mine, and he was sick, and he begged me to help Sean. I said, that would be a pleasure. And working with that kid, becoming his good friend, watching him grow and mature, it was phenomenal. And there's a lot of people like that. Steve Nova comes to mentor just a lot of different people I've been able to touch on a different level and they know who they are and it makes me feel good to know they're out there and that uh, we're helping each other that's what we're supposed to do as human beings you know it's, this isn't that complicated you know, to be enlightened be kind be nice have an ear to listen to people and all those things make you a better religion so a lot of people are wondering where real estate is going. I know when Solo came, a lot of people thought that maybe agents, that they wouldn't exist in the future or that or a job would change. Where do you see real estate going? Well, it's very interesting. Since the pandemic started, we have over 400,000 agents. So there's a lot of smart, cool agents out there that know how to market themselves what's going to happen. Uh, there's a lot of disruption. And so there's, there's definitely a compression and a push down somewhat on commission. And there's, there's a lot of technology out there that helps certain companies to have a leg up. But I think that, you know, the market's going to go up and down. There's, there's cycles of seven to 10 years. Typically we've been on a pretty good long cycle right now, prosperity, but I feel like we're seeing some things happen in Washington that are going to accelerate a really good market. We've got a little bit of runaway inflation, but in real estate, I think we're going to be able to hedge it because there's going to be so many transactions happening. There's been such low inventory, and now money is readily available. So you're going to see a lot of construction happening. The built, the everything is still very expensive. It's very hard to get. So that's going to be that's our log jam. Our log jam is, it's hard to get the new construction going because how expensive it is and everything else, but the need is so great that it's going to happen. So I think the next 10 to 12 years, very strong real estate market. And I am happy and excited that I'm so multifaceted. I do residential, commercial, investment properties. And like Michelle said, I do some management. And I feel like all of that gives me a good eye into what's going on. But, you know, it's a late date. I have a lot of good connections. 
uh, want to share information. And that's so much of what we do as agents together is we share a lot of information at sometimes lightning fast speeds. Like uh, I've had it where someone's giving me information about a property and I'll call six or 10 people in five minutes and I'll call six or 10 people. Within an hour, it's touched 100, 150 people. And with the internet, we can touch thousands of people. A lot of times we want to kind of keep it under wraps and in house depending on what the situation is. But I think it's going to be a great market. It, what have been um, the biggest changes during COVID um, for the real estate industry? Well, we had the civil unrest that totally stopped sales in certain markets, like River North, dead. Streeterville, really slow. And then there's been this, you know, they, they wouldn't even let you in a lot of A lot of real estate companies. Before she signs, they'd make it very tough for to sign a lot of paperwork to even get into a place. They wouldn't want to show it to you. But it's it's helped with virtual. A lot of people are doing a lot more things virtual. I guess that's good. But in the end, you know, I'm old school. I like to touch, see, and feel. And if you get into a property and touch, see, and feel it, you want to live there for a long time. You, you want everything to do this. So, you know, the pandemic made it tough to get into these places. Now things are fine. I'm praying that everybody gets their booster and vaccinated so that we can get over this whole mess that we're in. But I feel like that's, in some ways, it's streamlined. And a lot of people are saying that everyone is leaving Chicago. Is that your That's a falsehood. You know, like, there are a lot of people that have left Illinois, and there's people coming in just as fast. I was looking at big, newer buildings that have been built and doing a survey. And the majority of the managers told me we got people coming from all over the country to these places. So when the pandemic hit, yes, a ton of students left because they couldn't go to school here. They could study anywhere they wanted. And a lot of people took off because they couldn't even use the gyms in their, in their buildings. And their buildings were so expensive. And, you know, no one could go into the office, couldn't go out to eat, you couldn't go to movies or do anything was fun. So the city lost some of its appeal for a while. But uh, yes, we have some problems with crime. Yes, we have some problems with taxes. But it seems like we've kind of always had those situations. And now we're making a big rebound. And you can see that there's a lot of people moving. One of my friends moved to Colorado. He was very concerned. My God, his place sold fast for a ton of money. Because there's people who love Chicago. Chicago is an international city. We have great sports teams. We have fantastic museums. Our CTA is wonderful. Like most of the L stops have been replaced. They're beautiful. And most of the buses have been replaced. And uh, it seems like we have work staff for these. And so you can get around the city. I mean, it seemed like during the pandemic, was using it, but now you can see an answer. And so uh, I think people are going to be coming back. Some of the hotels downtown really got hit because there's been no convention action, but even those are starting to happen. And, you know, live music is starting to happen. So we're very blessed with the technology sector here in, in Illinois and Chicago. The Fulton Market area, if you've never seen the Fulton Market area in Chicago, You've got to come down and see this. It is like Disney World. Who would have ever guessed that a meatpacking plant area 
Now we have Google, Sono, all of these beautiful restaurants, hotels, bars, condos, gorgeous buildings. You know, I knew when they were putting L in at Morgan, that was really going to help that area, but no one could have figured out it was going to go like it has. And you know, if you look right now at the, some of the new construction that's happening, the Lincoln Yards is going to get on its way. It's going to be, that's a huge, that's where the Finkel plant was. And that's going to allow them to put the, the bicycle that's going to go all the way through uh, what Craig Bolden is doing at Morton Salt. That's going to be incredible. We're going to move the L station at Armitage and move it closer to, to the Lincoln Yard, put it on Lincoln Yards. It's going to have thousands of cars parking. It's going to be a beautiful stadium. Then they're going to take Elston Avenue at Armitage. It's all messed up there. And they're going to fix it just like they did at Fullerton and Clark. So that's going to be a wonderful improvement. And then look at the Michael Reese site. That's an incredible site where they're taking huge data centers. They're getting uh, research uh, centers and a whole big, huge company from, from Israel is coming. And that's like a $7 billion dollar. There's so many great things like that that are happening in Chicago right now. Like the 78th neighborhood is related is off of Roosevelt, and it goes all the way to like 18th Street. And so it's going to be fun to watch a whole new neighborhood built. And we have these out of the box thinkers here. Like they're talking about putting huge amounts of money to go over the railroad tracks by Grant Power buildings. And so it's very vibrant here. I know we've got a lot of bad press, but I feel like all in all, I, I you know they're they're going after the problems. I was at a Southside Builders uh, last week. Deputy Cox, head of development, was there talking about the South by Southwest program, and it, it warmed my heart how much money is going into the South Side and the West Side. And you know, I was a broker on the north side for 25 years, never went to the south side and so I was going to the White Sox games from Chinatown Heat. And now I've done a tremendous amount of real estate on the south side. And like yesterday, I'm at the new Obama Center. It's incredible. Hawked a bunch of land around there, drove to Englewood. And I'm telling you, the south side is gorgeous. Those parks are incredible. There's so much great land. There's so much great building stock. There's all these big boulevards to get around. They definitely need some help with the restaurants and some retail, but it's coming. And uh, it's really fun to be part of such a vibrant community. And I'm glad I'm able to say, no, Chicago is phenomenal. And don't leave, stay. We're going to figure out the tax though. So while we're talking about the future, like I mentioned before, you've kind of done everything in real estate. What's next for you? You know what? I love this trying to think out of the box and how can we bring mixed-use developments that are on a much larger scale. I feel like affordable housing is so badly needed and there's money readily available for these developments. And so... I like putting together puzzles, literally, and I like putting together real estate puzzles. So I'm busy trying to learn more and get involved with, like I've got a client that buys big, huge investment problems that are 80 to two, 300 units. 
So I'm really learning that game and I love it. And, and I'm late to the game, but it's exciting. And I have a lot of people that want to do land deals, figure out these affordable housing. And I have this friend, Cedric Whitten, he's, he, he's involved with thermosteel systems. And I want to build huge buildings with thermosteel, whether I'm a principal, whether I'm the realtor on it, or whether I'm just the catalyst. I feel in my being that I have to do this. Like, I, I don't know if it's has something to do with being Guy Vini's grandson. I don't know what it is, but all of a sudden I feel like I have to do these things. It's, it's, it keeps me young. Like, I feel like a little kid when I think about the things that I have to accomplish because uh, there's no way I'm retires. I'm going to be 63 next year. And, uh, you know, I, if, if I thought I could only go till I was 80, that's 17 years, all the goals, dreams, hopes I have, I, I don't think I can accomplish them that fast. So, you know, I, I'm going to really write the lists and accomplish things and get a lot of people that help me because, uh, I just love being involved with these projects and then seeing them grow. There, there's nothing most like I told, uh, Mike Nardini at CBRE. I just feel like when you give me a great project, I feel like Kid Charlotte. He's a gentleman in the Steely Dance on. He took the diamond with the pearl, turned the whole world into the world. That's what I want to do in real estate. And I want to do it with all my friends. And I want to help as many possible grow and become financially stable through real estate. This is Greg Vitti at Real Estate Legends. I want to thank you so much for taking the time to listen to us. I want to thank Michelle Espinel for nice words for coming in on a Saturday. Work hard, help me, and help all of you to get our story out. So we hope to talk to you soon. And if you want to know the podcast that I've been listening to, I've been listening to Brian Buffini, who is a great Irish Italian and he's from Ireland he's one of the great speakers and coaches and I listen to him in the morning a lot so Brian a big shout out to you I hope to be on your podcast someday and thank you everybody for listening and God bless